0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report 44, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. We have a bunch of highlights from Apple's recent worldwide developer conference, we have another major global law enforcement sting operation that used an encrypted messaging app, and much more. I am Nathan from The New Oil. This week, Henry is on a well-deserved vacation and will be back with us next week. This week, I would like to remind you that tech lore is community-driven. That's right, you watching this or listening to this make all of this possible. If you have the money, be sure to donate via Patreon, Monero, or pick up some swag. And of course, there's always free ways to contribute, like contributing to Plexus, which is Techlore's open source. Um, I would call it an information portal. If you haven't seen it, it's really cool. You should check it out. Or of course, you can just spread the word and share this podcast around. This week in data breaches. New South Wales Health confirms data breach due to Excellian vulnerability. So I don't know if that's actually New South Wales Health or NSW Health. It appears to be a company. Anyways, uh, this is a continuation of the Excellion data breach that we covered all the way back in January. It's five, six months later and we are still feeling the effects. Holy cow. Anyways, uh, NSW Health is uh, an Australian company. They confirmed they were impacted. They haven't really said much, been very tight-lipped, but they have said the information included identity and health-related personal information, and they are notifying affected customers. If we learn anything new, we will update you and Hopefully, that's the last Excellian data breach we hear about, but honestly, probably not. Ransomware struck another pipeline firm and leaked 70 gigs of data. So, when the Colonial Pipeline got hit last month, which was a big story, I'm sure you all remember that, there was another company called Linestar Integrity Services, which was, quote, a Houston-based company that sells auditing, compliance, maintenance, and technology services to pipeline customers, unquote. So, they serviced companies like colonial pipeline what makes this story interesting and the reason we're learning about it now is because they actually swept this under the rug there's a hacktivist group called distributed denial of secrets clever name and they noticed that 70 gigs of this data was on the dark web and they tied it back to this company this included emails accounting files contracts software code employees driver's license scans and social security cards so that's bad and they like i said they swept it under the rug and we'll talk about that more later Volkswagen suffered a data breach. They said that a vendor security lapse exposed 3.3 million driver details. So this was customer data spanning between 2014 and 2019 for a two year window between August of 2019 and May of 2021. All that data was left unprotected in an exposed database, I suppose, which unfortunately that is a really common way that data gets leaked. So remember, you gotta be on your guard because these companies unfortunately do not do good jobs of protecting your data. Data breached included name, address, email address, and phone number. Some of the records, uh, I think only a few thousand, but that's still a few thousand more than it should have been. Some of the records included driver's license numbers, dates of birth, and social security numbers. A URL shortener exposed the personal information of US retailer Carter's customer base. So, Carter is a clothing retailer. I guess they mostly specialize in like baby clothes, if I understood the article correctly. This breach affected hundreds of thousands of customers, potentially, we don't actually know, because when customers made the purchase, the vendors sent them a shortened URL, like that bit.ly URL, and when customers clicked on it, they could see information about their order. They could see names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, shipping tracker IDs, and purchase and transaction details. And the big issue here is that these URLs never expired, and they didn't uh, have any kind of authentication. So if you had the link, you could find it. And since they never expired, you know, it's, it's eventually the more links they send out there, the easier it'll be to just guess them. So... Uh, VPN mentor was actually the one that found this they submitted the report to Carter who responded I think I said five days later and was like well submit a bug report which doesn't seem like the proper procedure I mean I I get that they're trying to be formal about it, but also like, oh crap, we'll fix this. Please submit a bug report for paperwork reasons, whatever. Anyways, eventually they did fix it. And last but not least, McDonald's. Of all people, McDonald's was hit by a data breach. Uh, The good news is that there doesn't appear to have been any customer data leaked. It was kind of almost like corporate espionage. Uh, There was information about businesses like seating capacity and square footage of the play areas. However, there was also some employee contact info, uh, like store managers and franchise owners. uh, Some of their contact information was taken as well. So they might be using this for uh, phishing attacks in the near future and things of that nature. This mainly targeted US, South Korean, and Taiwanese McDonald's locations. All right, let's move into companies. We're gonna start off with Apple. And uh, unfortunately, our first story is not a great one. Apple pays millions to a woman after explicit photos posted online. So there was a student from Oregon, a university student who has been unnamed, of course, and she sent, if if I understood this story correctly, she sent her iPhone to Apple to be repaired. She didn't go to the third-party company. She sent it directly to Apple. Apple handed the phone off to a third-party contractor called Pegatron. Two of the employees of Pegatron posted, quote, 10 photos of her in various stages of undress and a sex video, unquote, to her Facebook account. I, for the life of me, cannot imagine what these people were trying to do. I, I don't know what their beef with this girl was. I don't know. I just I don't know what they were thinking. In general, in, in any sense of the word. But anyways, um, you know, so of course when her friends saw that, they started like texting her and pinging her and like, Yo, did you post this? There was a settlement between Pegatron and the student. The amount was not disclosed, Uh, it comes with an NDA, so the student is not allowed to come forward and talk about it. The rumor is that this was a multi-million dollar settlement and the two employees were fired, but Pegatron and Apple are still working together. We actually only learned about this story because there was an unrelated legal dispute between Pegatron and Apple, and apparently this story was part of the paperwork that was filed. It's, It's an interesting story and it just reminds you, be careful what you post on your phones. And like, I mean, I guess if you're sending your phone to be repaired, maybe she wasn't able to get the pictures and stuff off her. Her phone but but yeah I mean just you know think worst case scenario what if this person starts digging through your phone is are things locked take apps off put them back on afterwards and you know sign out of things lock them with a pin or I, I actually won't unlock it for them you know when they ask me to unlock the phone for them I'm just like no I'll just I'll take my chances because the, they'll tell you to unlock the phone so that they can test and make sure the screen works. And I'm always just like, no, it's cool. I'll, I'll take the risk. I'll assume you did it right. So our next Apple story apps are continuing to track users despite Apple's privacy prompt. So, uh, I'm going to read a quote from the article according to Eric Suford, I can't pronounce that name, a marketing strategy consultant. Many apps are using workaround methods to identify users who do not consent to being tracked, meaning that the amount of data being collected from many users is de facto unchanged. So basically marketers are just finding other ways to track iPhone users. In some cases, these workarounds may not technically violate app tracking transparency guidelines, but because Apple, like some of them definitely do, but some of them are kind of like, I don't know if this counts. But the, the real issue here is that Apple isn't doing anything about it. So we're not really sure what matters and what doesn't because Apple is not laying down the law and being like, hey, you're cheating, which they said that anybody who was caught trying to circumvent it would be banned from the app store, but they're not doing that. I'm gonna read one more quote Alex Austin chief of branch a mobile marketing platform said quote It's becoming clear that iOS 14 was much more a marketing promotion than an actual privacy initiative sadly unquote I think Henry probably likes Apple a little more than I do But of course, you know, he'll he'll admit their faults I think just as much as I would and like I think we were both hoping that you know This was gonna be some real change, but yeah, if Apple doesn't take any action soon, then maybe it was all just PR All right, let's on a good note goodish note let's talk about the worldwide developer conference there were a lot of this is a a conference that apple hosts every year where they unveil upcoming products and upcoming features, and they just you know, hype themselves up and talk about everything they're gonna do later this year. So some of the noteworthy things that us privacy people would be interested in. Apple is adding digital IDs and keys to wallet in iOS 15. So this means that certain state identifications and driver's licenses, airport IDs uh, down the road, not right away, but down the road, electronic keys like smart home locks, hotel rooms, work badges, things like that, they will all be added to the Apple wallet. Very convenient a little bit risky, but you do you. I don't recommend it personally. Apple Health is getting a ton of updates like the ability to see if someone is a fall risk I I guess iPhones are really popular with an older demographic on that note customers will be able to improve their walking there will be apps that they can download directly from Apple that will kind of give them different exercises they can do to help work on their stability they will be able to see for example like good and bad cholesterol if they track their food and their stuff like that they'll be able to see uh, the difference between good and bad cholesterol and what the you know healthy range is they will have the ability to track trends over time so they can see you know if they're eating a lot more sugar than you less sugar stuff like that interestingly the ability to share health data with certain providers and even individuals so Apple is going to integrate with certain like health providers and you will be able to share your Apple health record directly with your doctor for example if they're one of the approved ones and maybe even an individual you know if maybe you're uh, I I don't know why you would want to do that but yeah for whatever reason if you want to send your your husband wife best friend best friend's dog if they have an Apple account If you wanna send them your health record, you can. A big one, they've added Hide My Email, which is basically just an email forwarding service very similar to a non-addy or simple login. So I mean, most of us are probably ahead of that curve, but at least it'll become a little more mainstream. They will disable tracking pixels in the native email app by default, which I don't know why it took them that long. Uh, This one's really cool. You will have the ability to see all third-party domains that an app is contacting which if you're like me and you use lockdown that'll be really cool because then i can see you know oh my my app is contacting i don't know google analytics lockdown stops that but just as an example they're they're tracking this domain i didn't know they were contacting now i can add that to lockdown and disable it they are adding for a uh, paid icloud users they're adding a private relay which is basically just a two-hop vpn i mean obviously it's a lot more limited than a vpn so i think a vpn is a better value for your money but they're adding it they're adding the ability to share your location one time with an app so that's really cool for whatever reason if you're logging into an app and you want to give it your location just this one time but maybe not any other time you can give it one-time permissions. A really big one that Henry was super excited about. He messaged me about this one. FaceTime is coming to Android and Windows. Um, I know FaceTime is still Apple and there's a lot of metadata there, but it is end-to-end encrypted, so that is pretty cool. You know, it's it's kind of uh, increasing the availability of encryption for mainstream users. And last but not least, they are rolling out a passwordless login. This is basically just a biometric authentication where the device handles all your keys. So, you know, when you're setting up your account, you'll uh, like scan your face or your fingerprint or whatever, And it'll basically create keys Every time you log into something You can choose to log in with that And I mean I will be the first one to admit That biometrics are scary And probably gonna go wrong on us in the future When we're storing all that Unchangeable biometric data in the cloud But at the same time You gotta admit Passwords really suck And I appreciate that Apple is at least trying to find some kind of solution to that. So I don't know, we'll see how that turns out. Facebook will be ramping up their privacy efforts with end-to-end encrypted audio video calling trials in secret conversations. So the part that I misread this, this only applies to secret conversations, which is only available on mobile. So that should tell you a little bit about why they do that, because they still got your metadata. Currently secret conversations, which is uh, encrypted with the signal protocol, by the way. So I guess personal opinion, I know Facebook lies about everything, but I do actually believe that the content of Secret Conversations is encrypted because like I said, it's only available on mobile. So there's so much other metadata they don't really need the conversation to gather all the context because it's available on mobile. Anyways, Secret Conversations right now does not support group messages, payments, or audio-video calling. So it's basically just one-to-one encrypted text. Facebook is testing those features out, and they're also testing out disappearing messages. Again, it's based on the signal protocol, so clearly this is doable. We'll, we'll see what happens with that, I guess. Um... Just use Signal or, you know, XMPP or pretty much anything other than Facebook and WhatsApp. All right, our next story. Facebook is planning a smartwatch for next summer with two cameras and a heart rate monitor. Needless to say, I I know Henry's not here. I don't think it's a stretch to say we don't think this is a good idea. I certainly don't. Honestly, this is just Facebook's attempt to bypass Apple and Google without having to compete in the smartphone market. If Facebook makes a wearable, they get all that same location data that Apple and Google get without having to play by their rules and like I said if they make a smartwatch they don't have to compete in the smartphone market it's it's actually kind of genius from that perspective but hopefully uh, this will not take off let's talk about Walmart Walmart is giving 740,000 employees a free Samsung smartphone so these are going to be Galaxy X Cover Pros and Walmart says that they can be used for personal use if you want you can take them home you can make it your main phone but they are mainly being rolled out so that Walmart can issue a new app called Me at Walmart And the app will allow employees to check and adjust schedules, uh, radio other employees. Um, I actually used to work at Walmart and I will admit that was really annoying to not be able to get a hold of people because they short staff their stores so hard. Radio other employees, clock in, clock out. And there will also be a feature to quote, help shorten the time it takes employees to get items from the stock room to the sales floor, unquote. I don't know how that's gonna work, but whatever. If you do work for Walmart, honestly, just leave this sucker in your locker after the shift. Like, I again, I used to work there. I know that they you have the option to get a locker, and you can go ahead and buy a lock and lock it. I would not take that thing home if I were you. EA and CD Projekt both suffered hacks, or data breaches, I guess you could say. Let's start with the EA one. A cyber criminal has stolen a number of tools and EA data. Most of it seems to be source code from the upcoming game FIFA 21. I think that's upcoming, or maybe it's out. However in the the post that this criminal made online where they're offering to sell the data they did explicitly say that they were offering exploits for quote all EA services so maybe EA is downplaying this that's pretty likely most companies do CD Projekt Red which are the creators of Cyberpunk 2077 they also had a data breach back in February which is now apparently showing up online and basically they're just admitting it like yeah we had a data breach the data's out there sorry guys, and our last company story this headline says, privacy protecting car location data seemingly shows where people live, work, and go, so this is uh, yet another company that is selling location data, the interesting thing is this one is doing it to the public, most of these companies are, um, you know, only selling directly to police or something like that these guys will sell to anybody who's got money And, of course, they claim they anonymize the data, but when you can see a car sitting at the same address every night for, you know, 12, 16 hours a night or whatever, however long it's at home, it's pretty obvious who it is. And and they kind of admit that, too. Like, they say that they anonymize it, but they're pretty quick to admit, like, yeah, it can be undone and there's not much we can do about that. All right, let's move into research. Hackers can mess with HTTPS connections by sending data to your email server. (laughs) As usual, this kind of flew a little bit above my head. I apologize if I get this wrong, but here's how I understood this. When you request to connect to a website, the browser attempts to make a secure connection via TLS, which is transport layer security, which is HTTPS basically. The problem with TLS is that TLS does not verify the port number. So it's possible that an attacker could intercept the request, get all the information about who that request is coming from that they need. Because if I understand correctly, the request is not secured. And then they can redirect that request to a domain that looks valid and has the certificate and everything, but it's a different port. At which point, they basically become a man in the middle because now they are in between you and the certificate. They they've basically come in between the encryption so they can see all your encrypted traffic. The good news is the article says that right now these attacks are very targeted and not very likely to happen to most people. Like, they're kind of difficult to pull off. And hopefully this will be addressed and fixed before that changes and they become more scalable and easily done. Because 99% of the time, that's how things go. Is they start off really niche and really hard to do and requiring a lot of resources. And within a few years, you know, every script kitty on the internet has a copy of Ion Cannon. Ad tech firms are testing ways to connect Google's Flock to other data. I'm just going to read a paragraph out of the article here. As privacy and data ethics advocates warned, companies are starting to combine Flock IDs with existing identifiable profile information. Flock, for those who don't remember, is federated learning of cohorts. It's Google's attempt to do away with the cookie. It was pretty much met with a lot of criticism and so uh, so far does not appear to have been effective the idea was that it was supposed to be a good compromise between giving users more privacy and giving advertisers the ability to get the most bang for their buck with targeted advertising so moving on combine flock IDs with existing identifiable profile information linking unique insights about people's digital travels to what they already know about them even before third party cookie tracking could have revealed it so basically flock is actually making it easier for companies to stalk you identity tech firms say the IDs will help improve accuracy of systems that detect people's identities and could even serve as persistent identifiers. So yeah, flock fixed to nothing. It, it didn't even give Google the monopoly that I thought it was going to do. It's still just, uh, let's move on. Let's get, move into politics. All right. So this was a, a real big story towards the, uh, the end of this week. Let's talk about the Anam sting. There was a global sting this week that arrested thousands of suspects for pretty high level crimes, drug smuggling, money laundering, and quote, other high level organized crime. Here's what made this interesting. Anam was a company that the police seized pretty early on. Uh, or actually, I found some conflicting reports. I don't know if they started it or they took over it. But basically, one way or another, the police ended up in possession of this company called Anam. So we've seen stories like EncroChat happened recently, where the cops will manage to compromise an existing network. This was interesting because basically the cops built that encrypted network from the beginning. Instead of finding an existing network and taking over it, they made a network. And there were a couple things that made this successful. So this happened around the same time that a another encrochat type thing, uh, encrypted criminal uh, network called Phantom Secure, that one was shut down. So criminals were in the market for a new solution, and they happened to get one of the former employees of Phantom Secure to flip and work for them, and that's how they came up with Anam. The police modified Anam so that it would transmit decryption keys along with each message and send a copy to law enforcement so that law enforcement could read all the messages. Then they had that, that mold that they flipped convince people to start selling Anom devices. And you know, with Phantom Secure gone, everybody was like, oh, hey, well, they need something else. This is a good way to make money. The mole happened to know the right people, so it just happened to right place, right time, right people, and they got it off the ground. Uh, Australian police did most of the intercepting because it was easier from a jurisdictional standpoint. The article didn't really specify what that means. I guess they just have more relaxed laws regarding this stuff in Australia. On June 7th is when they began arresting people mainly because the warrant expired, but there was actually evidence showing that some of the criminals were starting to catch on and were trying to warn other criminals. So, I mean, either way, it was kind of time to move. So, lessons. Anom was centralized, proprietary, and the entire device was sold by a company, which I, I've said before, that was the problem with Anchor chat I think that was the problem with Sky ECC. That was probably the the problem with Phantom. You know, beware of things that are proprietary. Beware. I mean, don't, Don't be a criminal in the first place, of course, but just beware of things that are proprietary because you don't know what they're doing behind the scene. Um, Beware of things that are centralized because they're easier to censor or compromise. And personally, I'm aware of things that come shipped already with the software. Like, that's a big reason that, like, me and, like, Tech Lore, like, we don't sell. Tails USB sticks or things like that. And that's a big reason that like Pine phones, when you buy one, you can flash any OS on there you want. There's like five or six of them you can pick from. I think some of them ship with an OS, but I mean, they don't care if you flash something else on there. That's the whole reason why is to give you control of that device and the trust that it's not compromised. I'm going to leave this story with an article from Wired about the effect that this story has on the wider encryption debate, uh, in case you've new here the the uk australia and the us have all been complaining that end-to-end encryption will like cause child molesters and drug dealers to just run rampant around the world and this whole story is just kind of illustrating like well clearly you found a way around it so it it does kind of undermine their message of like we need to ban end-to-end encryption and wired has a really good article about that i totally recommend you read it the u.s waged a secret legal battle to obtain the emails of four new york times reporters here are the facts Beginning in the last weeks of the Trump administration and continuing until March, the U.S. Justice Department attempted to get email records from Google, who handles the New York Times emails, as part of an investigation into a uh, a leak. Basically, there was a whistleblower who was talking to the New York Times, and the U.S. government was trying to pull Times emails to figure out who that whistleblower was. This is all part of the same investigation, but prior to that, they had actually accessed phone records for the same reason. So they went to the phone records, they didn't find it, they went to the emails. All of this came with a gag order, which means that the companies are not allowed to talk about it. Both the gag order and the order from Google have since been withdrawn, and Google did push back surprisingly, Google did not just roll over and hand them everything. Google was like, no, we're not going to hand that over. There's a couple of lessons here that I think are worth taking away. Number one, a couple of weeks ago, we covered a story about Trump using the Justice Department to unmask a Twitter critic. And I said that I don't think that type of behavior is limited to Trump. And a lot of people accused me of placating the alt-right or something. I, I don't care about that. Here's what I meant, though. Assaults on privacy are not limited to Republicans or Democrats or whoever, Libertarians, Tea Party, Green Party, it doesn't matter. The government is big and different people in the government have different agendas. It does not matter what party someone is. I mean, this started with Trump and Biden kept it going for several months. This is not a partisan issue. That's what I was trying to say is like both parties will regularly propose laws or endorse laws or pass laws that are counter to privacy. So, you know, maybe your guy is in office and I'm not just talking about president. I'm talking about senators, mayors, everybody. Maybe your guy is in office right now. Congratulations. That doesn't mean that you can let your guard down. That's what we were trying to say. We're we're not trying to like let anybody off the hook and be like, oh, well, they all do this. So it's all good. We're trying to point out that it it doesn't matter who's in power. They, whether intentionally or otherwise, at least from time to time, they all do things that are not good for privacy. And you have to be aware of that and you have to keep your eye on them. That's why we have a whole politics section in this podcast is to make you aware of these things so that you can hold your elected officials accountable. Anyways, so this story also illustrates a lot of lessons about data. You've gotta know who has it. You've gotta know what they can and can't do with it. For example, I know they're not everybody's favorite, but like Proton, Proton does not have access to your emails. If the government had tried to do this with Proton, We'll just pretend there wasn't jurisdictional issues there. Proton wouldn't have been able to hand over anything. So you've also got to know what they will and won't do. Google pushed back. They won't always do that. A personal opinion here, sometimes self-hosting isn't better. I'm a huge fan of self-hosting, but I see a lot of people preach like, oh, you should self-host your own email, self-host your own email, self-host your own email. Dude, if the US government came after me for my email server, I don't have the same resources that google does to push back and that's not me saying use gmail i we just talked about this last week this is not an endorsement of google google didn't do this because they agree with the first amendment google did this because they knew they would lose a lot of customers if they didn't push back the point is it's just you've got to be aware of who has your data what are the risks what are the defenses All that kind of stuff. Alright, our next story. So Customs and Border Patrol has released an app that uses facial recognition and geolocation to quote, collect, process, and store, unquote, information about asylum seekers before they enter the US. Department of Homeland Security has argued that this is going to speed up the process and it's going to modernize the borders and (laughs) would be more effective than quote, walls and bans, unquote. But there are civil rights concerns, of course. Uh, You know, most people who are seeking asylum are obviously in a tough situation where they don't really have the time or the resources to fight back against this data abuse. So you're kind of like forcing people to hand over their data. They don't really have any other choice. And of course, the biggest concerns with this kind of stuff are, you know, who has the data, what are they doing with it, how are they protecting it? Border Patrol hasn't been very opaque about a lot of that, but yeah. And our last US story, we're gonna go to Ohio. Ohio's Attorney General Dave Yost has asked the courts, Yost, Yost, I don't know, has asked the courts to declare Google a public utility, which would subject them to government regulation. And this is the first such lawsuit of its kind. This is a a conversation I've had with a lot of people, especially around the time that Trump got deplatformed from Twitter. A private company has the right to play by their own rules, obviously within a certain boundary. And I, I think when we talk about things like, you know, should Twitter have banned Trump or not? I think the first question we have to start with is, is Twitter a private company? And, you know, Twitter, Google, Facebook, Amazon, I'm talking about all of them, but just like to use Twitter as an example, is Twitter a private company? Because if they're a private company, they can kick anybody off for any reason they want. And personally, I'm, kind of okay with that. I I don't want to get into all that. But the point is, that's the first question we need to start with. Because again, if they're a private company, they can do whatever they want. But if they're not a private company, then yes, now they have to start playing by certain rules and are accountable to certain kinds of oversight. And there's new regulations that go into not only how the company runs, but what they are and are not allowed to do in terms of what they can publish on their platform. So in my personal opinion, I don't know if I agree with this move, But I think he's making an important point, which is, again, we need to have that discussion. Are these companies now so big that they need to be considered public utilities instead of private companies? Because the answer to that question will dramatically change the rest of the discussion, in my personal opinion. I don't know if I think Google should be a public utility, but I'm glad that somebody is asking this question personally. All right, let's move to Canada. RCMP's use of facial recognition tech violated privacy laws. The Canadian Privacy Commissioner, Daniel Tarian, has concluded that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the Mounties as you know them, use of facial recognition tech was in violation of privacy laws because it was not being used pursuant to specific investigations. They were just collecting it on everybody, and the Privacy Commissioner was like, that's not cool. Of course, the Mounties disagreed with this assessment. However, they did agree that in the coming months they're going to create better guidelines and policies surrounding its use, So we'll see where that goes. The EU privacy chief is investigating the use of US cloud services. This is a pretty straightforward thing. The European data protection supervisor is opening two investigations into US cloud services. One is into AWS and Microsoft just in general and how they're storing EU citizen data and how they're protecting it. The other is specifically focusing on Office 365. We will keep you updated on those as more comes out. New South Wales police are using artificial intelligence to analyze CCTV footage. The New South Wales police are updating about 200 cameras and they're replacing them with cloud-based systems that will be using Microsoft Azure. The new systems will include AI and machine learning, including facial recognition, object recognition, voice to text, and other capabilities. The police are also updating their central database to provide officers with more information. Quote, for example, alerting police to the fact that the address which they are going to apprehend someone is located next to another house where residents are known to be antagonistic to the police through its geofencing capability. That came from Microsoft. Again, not to editorialize, but personal, personal opinion, I, I understand that that has good intentions but I feel like that's kind of looking for problems where there are none, cause you know, I don't know. That just, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I feel like that might be creating a problem that otherwise would not have been there, but I digress. Microsoft claims the system was developed with ethics front and center and had consultation with privacy experts. Those are both quotes from the article. However, the article specifically points out that Microsoft explicitly promised not to sell facial recognition technology to cops back in June of 2020. So maybe that only applied in the US, I don't know. Our next story is just a quick one. El Salvador has become the the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So now if you live in El Salvador, you can use Bitcoin to pay your bills, pay your taxes, uh, pay your employees, whatever you want. That's pretty neat. Bitcoin is taken off. And our last political story is just a piece of good news to end on the Middle East and North Africa have formed a new coalition to combat digital surveillance. And you can read the article. There's a whole ton of organizations that have signed on to this to help bring more awareness to those parts of the world. And I think that's amazing because privacy is for everyone, not just the Western world. All right, let's move into FOSS, free and open source software. First things first, PGP turned 30. Happy birthday, PGP. Look, I know PGP isn't perfect. I know some people have criticisms about it, and some of those criticisms are perfectly valid. I accept that. However, PGP was a landmark, monumental thing. It is still in use today. It dramatically changed the world for the better, in my opinion. I mean, I would certainly rather use PGP than nothing. So let's just take a moment and celebrate, and let's move forward and improve from here, by all means. I'm not saying we should settle for PGP. Let's keep trying to improve and do better, but yay, PGP, 30 years later. I wonder how many people listening to this are younger than PGP. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our next story is specifically about KDE Plasma 5.22 has been released. It's a desktop environment. I don't use KDE myself, so I apologize if if I say this wrong, but according to the article, it's got better Wayland support. It's got variable rate refresh and adaptive sync support, vertical and horizontal maximization within KWIN Wayland, global menu applet support, support for uh, activities, general bug fixes, gaming performance improvements, and then, of course, a whole bunch of other little things here and there. So yeah, if you're a KDE user, sounds pretty cool. Go ahead and update. And last but not least, the next Linux kernel will always reserve the first megabyte of RAM. When your computer boots up, previously Linux kernels have reserved parts of the first megabyte so that the BIOS can do their thing and they can run their checks and look for the hardware and all that kind of stuff. With the new kernel 5.13, Linux is just going to do away with bits and pieces. Just say, take the whole first megabyte. We'll take everything else. And this will hopefully make... uh Linux a little bit more stable. Let's move into Misfits. Our first story, a ransomware warning. There's another spike in attacks on schools and universities. So, you know, just something to make people aware of if you're a university student or you teach at a university, work at a university, just be on your guard. There's another wave of ransomware attacks coming your way. All right, let's talk about the Fastly CDN outage. Fastly is a content delivery network that powers large swaths of the internet, just like Cloudflare. In fact, we saw a story similar to this uh, a few months ago, I think. So what happened is Fastly went out for about an hour, and as a result, there were tons of websites like Twitch, Pinterest, Reddit, that were completely inaccessible. Again, it only lasted about an hour. With the Cloudflare thing, what happened was, if I remember correctly, I I admit, I didn't look this up uh, when I wrote these notes, but if I remember correctly, a programmer had inadvertently pushed bad code onto one of the servers, and that basically just killed the internet. Not everywhere, obviously, but in large portions of the internet all over the world for several hours, if I remember correctly, like half a day or something, it was pretty wild. Well, this time is worse because at least that time it was like a Cloudflare employee or something like that who like pushed code. This time it was a Fastly customer who was messing around in their own settings, the GUI settings, the graphic user interface, the website or whatever, you know, the app. Like they weren't doing any coding. They weren't doing any command line stuff. They were looking at the settings and making valid configuration changes, and killed fastly for about an hour. Personally, I try not to use Cloudflare, like for example with uh, DNS over HTTPS, I don't use Cloudflare. And there's a lot of good reasons not to use Cloudflare, and in my opinion, this is one of the bigger ones, is you know, when we consolidate the whole internet to like three or four companies, not only does that bring up a lot of ethical issues, it also just becomes dangerous from like a usability perspective, you know? When one of these sites goes down, half the internet goes out, and that's not good, man. Alright, our last story. A ransomware group has closed up shop and sent their decryption keys to Bleeping Computer. So they're, I, I don't know how this is pronounced, avidon avid, a- a- Avadin? Anyways, they are considered one of the most prolific ransomware groups, responsible for nearly 24% of all ransomware incidents in the last month. Well, they closed up shop and they decided to send all their decryption keys to a journalist at Bleeping Computer and trust that guy to go ahead and disseminate them all. Here's what I think is really interesting about this story. Avidon has only been credited with 88 attacks, but they send almost three thousand keys. That means that like 3,000 companies didn't admit that they got hit with this ransomware. And I mean, maybe those companies didn't pay, which is good for them, but I feel like they should still admit like, hey, we got hit with ransomware. We didn't pay them. We pulled from the backups. But yeah, that just goes to show you how often companies don't disclose these attacks. So wow, 88 versus 3,000. That's insane. All right, and that was all of our stories this week. It has been quite an exciting week. I wanna remind you again that TechLore is community supported. Again, you can keep TechLore and this podcast going through things like uh, Patreon, Monero donations, there's a merch store. And then, like I said, there's free ways to contribute. There's Plexus, there's sharing this podcast episode around, there's joining the community, being part of the conversation. I mean, we got Matrix Rooms, we got Discord, all kinds of stuff. Thank you again for listening to Surveillance Report. We are so happy to know that you're trying to stay safe out there because it is a crazy world. The final thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating. It really helps people find us and helps us spread the message of privacy to as many people as possible. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.